We'll be in Genesis chapter 13 this morning. Genesis chapter 13. We do have three points today, but it's not a typical three-point outline. Uh, I was talking with Tyler before the service about it because he's going to be grilling today. And uh, Today, I, I was looking at different options for um, sermons, and typically what I do after a conference, I just re-preach someone else's sermon that they preached during the conference, and, uh, but we had enough people stick around for those sermons. I can't do that, so... Um, no, this is a sermon I've preached before, but I've, uh, I'm kind of rearranging it, taking some things out uh, of it and things like that as well. I think it's so much that we can learn from the story of Lot, the decisions that Lot made, and it just ties so well into where we are as a society today um, and where we are as Christians today. A lot of times, um, the American Christian looks too much like Lot. Uh, we, we tend to act too much like Lot. And although God, later in Scripture, talks very positively of Lot, he was just. Uh, which again is surprising when you, when you understand the story of Lot, but it's also wonderful to understand God's view of his children. But we look at Lot and what we can learn from uh, him. And uh, like I said, it's not your stereotypical three-point alliterated outline today. So if you're taking notes, I apologize in advance for how hard that's going to be. But uh, look with me in Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 10. And the Bible says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, that's him and Abraham, the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. And we see here this story of Sodom and Gomorrah. I would assume at least you know something about it. Sodom and Gomorrah was a uh, historically wicked area, uh, community, town, city, village, whatever you want to call it. These people were known for their wickedness, for their sin. Uh, to this day, people understand just from the term sodomite, the sin of Sodom and the sin of Gomorrah. And I always look at, when I look at Scripture, especially when I'm reading through the Old Testament, but really all of Scripture, I always kind of look at what's going on in, in that time that it was written or written about versus what's going on in our world today. And isn't it amazing that there is so many similarities to the sin of the Old Testament compared to the sin of uh, modern day? And so when I look at that, then I look at the people that God gives us and the illustrations that God gives us. And, and, and if there were people who did right in those days, then there can be people who do right in these days. And if there are people who did wrong in those days, then there are people who can do wrong in these days as well. 
Today we're not talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, we're talking about Lot. Who is Lot? Lot is a, a child of God. Lot is someone who was given um, teachings, an understanding of who God was. And God, Lot was a man who had an opportunity to make a choice that could help him and his family spiritually or a choice that could help him and his family materially. And where did that decision take him? And that's kind of what I want to look at uh, here this morning, but I just want to give you the understanding of kind of where, where Lot is, where, where uh, he's pitching his tent. Uh, and honestly, it's not, uh, he didn't pitch his tent anywhere that was that much different than modern-day America. And hopefully we can learn a few lessons from Lot this morning. God, I pray for your help. Uh, I pray that you give me wisdom on uh, what to talk about. Lord, I pray that you give us guidance this morning to make sure we go right where you want us to be. And I pray that as we present these, these verses and these thoughts, that, Lord, it would be done clearly and correctly. God, would you just clear our minds this morning? Uh, I know I'm tired. I'm assuming other people are too. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would clear our hearts and minds and help us to learn from your word this morning. And God, may we, may we take the mistakes of someone else and learn from them so that we don't make the same mistakes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look first of all kind of at the course of Lot, the, the, the way that he went. Uh, his uncle Abraham uh, loved him like a son treated him like a son. And here they come into this land, and, and, uh, and as they were getting here, there was uh, beginning to be arguments between Lot and his people, his family and his uh, servants and everybody that was with him, and Abraham and his people. There was not enough space between them, basically. They needed to spread out a little bit, and, uh, and it was time for them to kind of go a separate direction. And so Abraham... Uh, said to Lot, verse number 8, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Uh, there's a great sermon right there just on that verse about how we should treat each other. But nonetheless, uh, in verse number 10, as we read Lot, in making the decision of where he would go, he lifted up his highs, and behold, the plain of Jordan. And it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. So he looks up at the, the, the land that was available to them, and trying to decide where he would go. He made the decision to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, there was some strategicness of this too, right? The plains were well watered. It was great for his cattle and his sheep, and it was, uh, there was plenty of good opportunity there. And, and where Abraham, Abraham didn't get shafted, he had good land too, right? It wasn't like they were deciding between a dump and, and a great spot, a dried up desert and fertile uh, garden plain. It, there, there, was, there was plenty of good property around. But Lot chose to go for a reason, and we'll look at this in just a moment, uh, towards Sodom. If you'll just jump back, we'll come back to chapter 13, but go to chapter 19 as we look at kind of where is um, Lot at. And the very first verse of chapter 19 says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. 
So he has established himself now into this uh, place of Sodom, the city of Sodom, and he is sitting at the gate, uh, meaning that he was involved in, in the politics of Sodom. He was involved in some decision-making. He was uh, um, uh, uh, blending in to Sodom. He made the decision to pitch towards Sodom, and just a few chapters later we find him actively involved in Sodom. And again, I know we've talked about this before, and none of this is probably going to be new to you today, but, but this idea of immersing himself into the culture that was presented in Sodom. Did he do all the same sins that we think about with Sodom? No. But he immersed himself in there, and, and dangerously so. Well, how do I know that? Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. He did everything that Psalm 1, 1 says don't do. If you want to be happy, blessed, don't do these things. And Lot did the exact opposite. And we see the progression here where you have Lot, uh, where you're talking about walking, right? So you're walking by and you can imagine walking through. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Uh, you hear him talking, but you're walking through. All right, so Psalm 1-1, walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So we're walking through. Then it says, standeth in the way of sinners. So now instead of walking by, hey, how you doing? I see you. Now I'm stopping and I'm standing in the way. Now I'm in the conversation. Now I'm a, I'm a little bit closer. And then sitting in the seat of the scornful is fully immersed right in there with it. And when we come to Lot in chapter 19, he is sitting in the gates of Sodom. He's immersed. He's there. And again, we've warned you of this. There's this thought of, well, I've got to be part of them to reach them. It's not what the Bible says. That's what uh, uh, the worldly teaching will tell you, but it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, flee also youthful lust, follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord with a pure heart. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us to flee fornication. Sodom, the city, the place that Lot immersed himself in was full of fornication. American culture I don't think you can argue with me on this, is full of fornication. Society, you know, I wasn't around in the 60s and 70s. But from what I know, it was pretty, pretty bad, pretty loose. I don't know that today is any better. As a matter of fact, I'd say it probably isn't. The difference is now... Um, it's just more done everywhere. At home. Wherever you have an electronic device. The, 
the wickedness of our society is just as wicked as it's ever been. And we have too many Christians that are following the same course that Lot followed. Getting close, immersing ourselves in, maybe with good motives, but done so foolishly. Because a wise man, a wise woman, a wise Christian will not immerse themselves in a wicked society. Are we supposed to reach the wicked society? Yes. Are we supposed to love the people in our culture? Yes. Are we supposed to immerse ourselves in it so that we can better reach them? No. No, the Bible says actually you're supposed to do the exact opposite of that. Psychiatry will teach you, a worldly view of psychiatry will teach you that, 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 that idea. Uh, it'll teach you to do what makes you happy. It'll teach you to try things out. It'll teach you to, um, to, to better help someone you love kind of fit in with them. But the Bible teaches us, stand with God, do what God tells you to do, be different than this world, preach the Word of God, and you can impact lives. And the reality is, is we cannot follow the same course that Lot followed because he immersed himself into something that ultimately was his demise. So we see the course of Lot. I want us to see now four things about Lot that I think can help us uh, um, put safeguards up in our life. Number one, we see that Lot was weak in his devotion. Now we're going to read, we're, we're, we have to kind of read between the lines on this a little bit, so, so bear with me please and understand this. But we talk about Lot's personal time with God, we don't, we don't read a whole lot about that. There was sometimes just, again, understanding the whole story of it, that Lot worshipped God, sacrificed to God, those sorts of things. In Genesis 13, we, we, we read about Abraham's altar, but we only see about Lot the fact that he had flocks and herds and tents. Now, did he use Abraham's altar? I would assume so. It would make sense that he did. Maybe he had his own, but we don't read about it anywhere. And the thing that we've been talking about the most in this new year is the idea of the personal growth, personal investment, personal devotion to God. In Genesis 19, it says that Abraham spent time with God. He knew the importance of this consistent relationship with God. Was Abraham perfect? No way. No way. But we see that Abraham took time with God. And again, in Genesis 19, we see Lot sitting at the gates of Sodom, which was a position of influence. What steps are you taking in your life to avoid sin? Abraham, from what we read about Abraham, had a a consistent relationship with God. From what we read about Lot, he did not. 
And, and the course that you choose, the, the things that you do, the priorities that you set are either going to help take you in a, in a way that avoids sin or it's going to take you in a place that draws you closer to sin. Your faithfulness and obedience to God will help you uh, take you to a, to a place of avoiding sin. Your uh, refusal to obey God. You're not reading your Bible. That's a refusal to obey God. God says, study the Word, read the Word. If you're not doing it, then you're refusing to obey. Your refusal to obey God would only draw you closer to sin. Being in church a day a week or two days a week, it's not, it doesn't do it, right? Uh, it helps. It's good. I'll tell you what, uh, I was in church now, last week was in church four days. The conference Thursday night and Friday, hearing, preaching, it, it was a, uh, a refuel for me. And I try to make sure that, that throughout the year I get to listen to preachers versus just doing the preaching. Uh, I'm just telling you, it just was, it was good for me. But once or twice a week, it's not going to take care of you. <laughs> you need more. You need more. Lot was weak in his devotion. Not only that, he was also worldly in his desire. In verse number 10, it says, uh, specifically mentions the fact that Sodom and Gomorrah uh, uh, and the area in which he was pitching his tents were like the land of Egypt. Sodom reminded Lot of Egypt. There's a lot going on. It wasn't the wilderness like they had been living with Abraham. City life, so to say. Throughout Scripture, you'll find that Egypt is used as an illustration or a picture of world or worldly living, the pleasures and the lifestyle of the world. And when Lot looked at where to live, he considered the best place for his cattle, the best place for his sheep, the best place uh, uh, there where he could grow his own um, nation, his own uh, family, a place to gain position, a place to gain possessions, wealth. But the thing he didn't consider is where's the best place to raise my children? When you look at life as an adult, you got a job and you're looking to, to make money to take care of your family and you're looking for uh, to put your, your, yourself in a good position, that's something you should be aware of. I think about it often, uh, and the thing I've cried the most tears about since starting the church is, is have I done my best to take care of my family, to put them in a good situation. And when we're making those decisions, sometimes we can think so adult-minded, finances, um, uh, position, title, whatever, we don't think enough about how it's going to affect the kids. And I'm not talking about time away because of work and things like that, although that could be included, but I'm talking about the situations that we're going to put our kids in. Is it going to be, help them spiritually? Is it going to guard them, protect them? Because we can put ourselves in a good situation that could put our futures, our kids, in a bad situation. 
And Lot, when he pitched his tents towards Sodom, he had worldly desires. How can I grow? How can we continue to grow? How can we gain? And he could do that by going to Sodom, but what was he risking? He was risking his children, putting them around a culture and a society that was just blatantly wicked. And it was going to cause problems. We see that uh, he had worldly desires. We see that he, had, we, he was weak in his devotion. We also see that he made wrong decisions. Verse number 11, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and the Lot uh, journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. We choose which path we take. God does not uh, choose that for us. He, he allows us to make decisions God does choose the final destination. And Lot's bad decisions are going to cause him a lot of problems. And our bad decisions will cause us a lot of problems. God has placed you where he's placed you. And every day we have a decision to make. Am I going to choose right or am I going to choose wrong? Some are around very bad influences because of their situation, work, you know, work environment or whatever it may be. And you've got to make the decision, good or bad. What am I going to do? It's interesting, one of the things that we talked about just in fellowship this weekend was with uh, Brother Getch, who was our main speaker. We went to the same Bible college. Now, he was before me by several years. But he was talking about when he got to Bible college, he was kind of ignorant of... Um, uh, some of the guys there. He played football and on the football team um, in the locker room and there was just an environment there that was not godly. And he talked about, he said, you know, as a freshman, I was telling juniors on the football team, hey, that's not right. Shouldn't be talking like that. Shouldn't be doing those kinds of things. He said every year after football season, a bunch of the players would get kicked out of college because they'd all go party after the season. And then they'd come back for the next football season it would kind of happen all over again. He's talking about, you know, it, it taught me, he said, it taught me a lot as a young, as a freshman in, in Bible college about how to take a stand. He said, you wouldn't think at Bible college you'd learn how to take a stand. But he said, it did, it taught me that. He said, now, I never got invited to the parties because his dad, everybody knew who his dad was. His dad was a preacher and important there in the area. He said, it's probably good I didn't because at that age, who knows, I may have went. He said, but it helped me and it taught me and it trained me to make the right decisions. You know, in our lives, you know, I don't know how much you have to be taught or trained to do right. You, from an early age, you, you understand the decision of it, doing good, doing wrong. And maybe you grew up with different kinds of parents than I did, but I understood that when I did wrong, there was going to be consequences. And the reality is, is even as adults, even as Christian adults, there are still consequences to our decisions, good or bad. Lot made wrong decisions that definitely hurt him and his family. And then we also learn about Lot, that he deteriorated over time. It was, it was a gradual 
slow deterioration because of these things in his life. Today, I believe Lot is in heaven. I believe from what the Bible says, that would make sense. He was saved. A few things we see about Lot later on in life. He gets drunk. He commits incest. He had two sons uh, that have been enemies of God's people ever since. A lot of bad things happened in Lot's life, and it started with the decision to pitch his tents towards Sodom. Sodom is not responsible for Lot's downfall, just as in culture today is not responsible for yours. You are. Lot's responsible for his decisions. There was never a time where Lot could look at God and say, God, it wasn't my fault. It was Sodom's fault. And we're not looking at the full story today of, of Lot and his family and the things that went on. I mean, it is, it is detailed in Scripture, and it is wicked. And it was Lot's fault. And in your life, the decisions that you make and the, the, the way that you go, it's on you. You can't blame God for your bad decisions can't blame society. You can try. It ain't going to work. You can't blame society for your bad decisions. Can't blame spouses for your bad decisions. Can't blame parents for your bad decisions. It's on you. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The individual is responsible for their own actions. We see the course of Lot we see these four things about Lot. And then lastly, I just want us to look at the cure that could have been. The cure that could have been. Abraham began to ask God to spare Sodom, mainly to spare Lot and his family. Abraham prayed and said, God... If there are 50 righteous people, would you spare the city? And God said, yes. They couldn't find 50 righteous people. So the number began to go down. God, if there are 40 righteous people, would you save, save the city? Would you spare it? God said, yes, they couldn't find 40. God, if there's 30, would you spare? Yes, they couldn't find 30. God, if there's 20, would you spare? Yes, they couldn't find 20. And finally, they said, God, if there's 10 righteous people, would you spare the city? And God said, I will. Lot was married. He had a wife. There's two people. He had two daughters. There's four. They were both married. That's six. He had two unmarried daughters. That's eight. God, if you can find ten righteous people, would you spare the city? He said yes. And he could not find ten. If Lot 
and raise his family correctly. And if they had just reached two additional people, the city would have been spared. Sometimes I look at our country and I think, man, what a wicked country. And I think about God's judgment and what could come on our country even before the return of Christ. And I found myself praying more over the last six or so years, God, would you spare our country? I've never asked God if we have so many people, righteous people, would you spare it? I haven't gone there yet. But I began to think about Lot and his decisions that he made. Not only that, his ineffectiveness for God. Just two people. Two people outside of his family. If they could have just reached two people, God would have spared the city. Lot came to his family and he told them what God was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah and they laughed at him. Our decisions... Our sinful lifestyle ruins any chance we have of people taking us seriously when it comes to the things of God. And I wonder if there came a day where God said, I'm going to destroy your country, and you had to ask God, God, if there are this many people, would you spare the country? Would there be two people that you've reached? When's the last time you shared God with somebody? People will make excuses they have for centuries of why they can't share God with somebody. Well, I'm not a good speaker. Well, I, I'm a little shy. I get nervous. They're kind of silly excuses when you talk about burning in hell for eternity. This is not the way it works, but if someone in hell has the opportunity to talk to God and say, God, why didn't my neighbor tell me about this place? And God said, well, you have to excuse them. They're a little shy. Our aunt or uncle. So why didn't my nephew tell me? What excuse is sufficient? If a brother or sister said, why didn't my brother or sister tell me? What excuse is sufficient? If a child says, why didn't my mom or dad tell me? What excuse is sufficient? There isn't one. Lot, he just chose wrong. He just did wrong. 
and we see a society, a city, a couple of them burned to the ground because Lot didn't reach anybody. You say, well, no, they were burned to the ground because of their sin. Yes. But do you remember the story of Nineveh? That was a wicked society, an evil society, a violent society, an immoral society. And God said, I'm going to destroy it. But they repented. And God spared them. Why did they repent? Because Jonah finally obeyed God. Did Jonah have a great attitude about it? No, he didn't. Whole nother message, whole nother day. But Jonah finally obeyed God. He preached God's word and the people of Nineveh repented and God spared them. I have no idea because the Bible does not tell us, but I, I wonder if there was ever a time in this, these prayers that were going on, God, can you find 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, where Lot began going to his neighbors. God's going to burn the city down. Got to repent. His own family laughed at him. So you got to imagine what his neighbors would have done. And I don't know if he did. It just continues to point out the importance of the life that we live and how crucial it is that we live a life that is obedient to God. A life that, that, that shows Christ to other people. But not just living a good life, because the Bible does say that through our work, some people will see and can see Christ in us. But the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing. I tell somebody. We all can come up with the excuses. My goodness, I'm a preacher. <laughs> and I have excuses for why I don't want to tell people. But they're not good excuses. You got to tell somebody. You got to get out and, and, and let them know about a God who loves you and a God who loves them and a God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for their sins, to pay a penalty that they cannot pay on their own. And that because God loves them and because Christ died for them, that they can be saved. Take your excuses and flush them down the toilet. As a matter of fact, why don't you write your excuses, light a match, and put it next to that paper and see what happens. And then as you're watching that excuse burn, think about the people who you refuse to tell about Jesus Christ and understand that for eternity they will burn if you don't tell them. It's a heavy responsibility, and it's one that God has given to us. He says, go ye into all the world. Boy, we can be so mission, missions-minded, sending missionaries across the country and praying for people in foreign lands and all that kind of stuff, and we ignore the people right next to us. We say, boy, I sure appreciate that missionary going and sharing the gospel with those people because I'll never get to South Africa to share the gospel. 
I'll never get to England to share the gospel. I'll never get to Germany to share the gospel. I'll never get to Taiwan or China to share the gospel. The reality is, is, is even if you could, you probably still wouldn't. Because you're not even sharing it with the person next to you. We as Christians, and I'm not, I'm not judging you, I am talking about us. We as Christians do not take our responsibilities serious enough to fulfill the commission that God has given us to go into all the world, including our neighbors, including our family, including our community, and sharing the gospel with every creature. And too often times we integrate ourselves and immerse ourselves into culture, claiming it to be good motives, but at the end of the day we're still going to watch our country burn because we refuse to go and do what we were told to do and give the gospel out. I would assume that every single one of us knows someone that's not saved. I would assume, not only that, that every single one of us knows someone who we will see tomorrow, or who we will talk to tomorrow, or who we will scroll across their social media page tomorrow that is not saved. When have you tried sharing the gospel with them? And if you haven't, what's your excuse? And if you have an excuse, how does it hold up to hell? We can talk about how wicked our country is, or we can realize how wicked we are. Yes, our country is wicked. But sadly, most Christians are similarly wicked. Even as children of God, even as saved, even knowing that we will spend eternity in heaven, our wickedness continues to build up in just simple disobedience to God to not do what God has told us to do. A Christian has zero right to complain about the wickedness of our country unless... We are sharing the gospel on a regular basis. Lot chose wrong time and time again. Are you like Lot? He had wrong priorities, he made wrong decisions. And ultimately, he lost his friends, his neighbors, his wife, kids, as a result of it. Are you willing to lose all those things? We as Christians like to talk about the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And man, they were wicked. But we do it oftentimes to make ourselves feel better. God destroyed the wicked nations. The reality is, is God destroyed Lot's family as well as a result of the decisions that Lot made. We don't like to talk about that because that's a little closer to home. 
We don't usually associate with Sodom and Gomorrah very much because of the sins that they're known for. Boy, do we associate with Lot. God gives us so many examples in Scripture to teach us and to show us, to help us to understand the consequences that our actions have. And if you don't think that God would be willing to destroy our nation because of its wickedness, you don't know anything about history. And if you don't think that God is willing to bring on consequences because we don't obey Him, you don't know anything about your Bible. It's a heavy task. It's an important task. Are you doing it? And if you're not, are you willing to? There's still time, right? God, is there 50 people? 50 righteous people? God, is there 10 even in this building today that would cause you to spare our nation? Only you know. You and God. Let's learn some lessons from Lot and make sure we don't make those same mistakes. God help us. That's the prayer. God help us. Lord, you've placed people in our lives. It gives us the opportunity to share with them the good news of the gospel. And so oftentimes, we just refuse to do it. We have all kinds of excuses for why we're not going to. God, help us. Lord, help us as we look at society and the culture in which we live. Help us to understand our response to it. Help us to live the way we're supposed to live. God, help us. Lord, help us to protect our families. Put them in the right situation, in the right spot that will help them to see you and follow you. And God help us. Lord, we live in a wicked country. We live in a wicked world. Help us to be different. Help us to be obedient. God help us. Lord, we ask for your help because you're the only one that can help us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you stand?